Okay, so um, 2020 is almost time to surface. This dive is over. It's been a hell of a dive. It's been a rough dive. It's been a long dive. We haven't come up since March from 2020, basically. Yeah. Actually, there's no sign that we're supposed to be coming up. Grab your stage bottles, everybody. It's going to be a long one. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. back to the great dive podcast everyone it's the new year which we should be saying happy new year everybody from the great dive podcast welcome to 2021 i haven't seen you since last year it's been it you seems haven't like, really changed it seems though. like a year ago <laughs> since, since i've seen you it was last year oh, i love that joke well, yeah, so hopefully 2021 mellows out pretty quick and uh, everyone can get back to their diving and traveling and enjoying the world again. But in the meantime, we're, uh, we're going to kick back and reflect on 2020 and how it treated us. So grab a bottle of cheap bourbon because you're going to need the hangover. Because 2021 was, or 2020, was pretty rough. It was Mad Dog. It wasn't cheap bourbon. It was Mad Dog. It was Mad Dog and Everclear. Yeah. Mad Dog 2020, the year of Mad Dog. But we started a kind of, a, we kind of did a little bit of a year in review last year, too. And I, I think it makes sense at the to wrap up, even though this is officially going to be January 1st kind of makes sense to wrap up the year with a little review a little reflection as to what we did it's kind of uh, like signing the logbook on 2020 kind of I guess yeah take a take a look back you know we started off the year with a classic for everybody for New Year's which is getting fit for diving and we read through that that book about yoga for scuba divers. Remember doing that one? Yogurt for scuba divers, yes. I love that. Fruit on the bottom yoga. <laughs> Is that my Dannon? And this was a time in people's lives where there was promise and hope for getting fit for 2020 before old COVID-19 came in and 
kicked everybody in the shins and closed up all the gyms. Forced boredom. It's called enforced forced, boredom. Uh, forced you to stay inside. And and, and I, I, I mean, some people might have responded with a home gym and home workout routine. I think most people responded with, well, I'm going to sit around and have Zoom happy hours. Well, the other side of it was it was supposed to be for for a couple weeks, a few weeks, flatten the curve. And we'll all be back to doing our regular diving schedules. But it ended up being the whole year. And there's no end in sight. So, But nonetheless, that episode talked a lot about you know, the value of fitness for a diver, the ability and the need for us as divers to be able to manage CO2 was a lot of that conversation. Yeah. You oh, know, fitness. Uh, I thought fitness. I thought like you're trying to fitness. Like trying to fit in this sweatsuit? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Figure if That's you That's why you need the fitness. fitness. If, you have, if you have to say I can't fit in this wetsuit. <laughs> You need to get some fitness you in your life. Get, you need to get on a fitness program so you can fitness wet wetsuit. Yeah, yeah. Another joke that never gets old. We go underwater. That that partial pressure of carbon dioxide we can handle on the surface. Well, it starts to increase as we go deeper because our ambient pressure increases. Correct. And boom! All of a sudden, we're over that threshold. Absolutely. And we need to get rid of it. Yeah. So and it, it becomes and- toxic to us at that point. And everybody, you know, or, or a lot of people will hear that and they go, oh, yeah, CO2 is bad. Well, in some ways, no, it's very important. Well, Caveman it, Diver says CO2 bad. Oxygen good until bad. <laughs> they both Nitrogen bad. bad. Perdix good. <laughs> it's like... Uh, caveman, what is that? Caveman Lawyer or something? Caveman Lawyer from Saturday Night Live. Well, it's, we can have caveman scuba diver. Well, you got to realize that the CO two unfrozen caveman lawyer, unfrozen caveman scuba diver, oxygen good. <laughs> there you go. Okay, I'm sorry. James hates me. James right now is like, uh, is there a ice pick anywhere <laughs> near me? So I want to. Stab I have him first and then stab my ears for having to listen to his ass. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, I, I want to make the point of you can't just get rid of all the CO2 because you have to have the CO2 because the CO2 is the driver for breathing. Mm-hmm. So you need to have it in there because it's telling your brain something. The mismanagement of it mm-hmm. is where we start to get into the problems, well, especially I get, at depth. Yeah. But because we have conscious control of breathing, we could tell ourselves to breathe consciously. Well, you certainly can. Yeah. And that's what, if you're not practiced in it at all, mm-hmm. you're going to have a real hard time in the, middle exactly. of, in the middle of that melee getting control of your breathing. Right. And that's where I think that something like getting into a yoga practice. Is it a melee or a pandemonium? It's, <laughs> it hasn't got to a pandemonium yet <laughs> because you're working on taking control of the breathing. You fuck that up, it's going to be pandemonium. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, Ludicrousness. Right, but like, so for instance, like you get on a treadmill and you increase the speed or you increase the the gradient of the 
the hill, the, the slope. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. You increase the, the gradient on the on the hill, and you start increasing that workload. If you can't control your breathing when that demand increases, if you struggle with that, just you know, at walking at four miles an hour, and then you kick the grade up to a three or a four, mm-hmm. and you start struggling, that's not drastically different than everything being okay, drifting along on a dive, and then realizing I, I got to turn and swim against this current to get over to where the the back of the boat is right, right? to for a wee bit yeah yeah you know what i mean so <laughs> right so it's something like that and, and if if you go to the gym and you work out and you exercise and you realize that hey normally i'm going to lose control of my breathing this is going to get really really hard and i'm going to have to woo, mm-hmm. take the gradient down i'm going to have to slow the speed down so i can catch my breath again but if you can learn to relax and take control of your breathing mm-hmm. to conquer that change in elevation or change mm-hmm. in speed on that treadmill it's very similar to what you're dealing with when the 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 intensity gets mm-hmm. kicked up on the dive you know yeah and having a conscious knowledge that you keep in your forefront of what's going on when you're getting that urge to breathe and you're tr- you're almost over breathing that rag you know if you can tell yourself listen i need to get rid of my carbon dioxide yes exactly that's exhale more you know sh- you don't. Your body is not craving oxygen. You have high PO twos of oxygen underwater. That's the that's the thing. When you're on air at 33 feet, you have way more than double the amount of oxygen. Much more than double the amount of oxygen that you need. Correct. So the problem is you also chill have the double, fuck out. You have yeah, double that CO two. Exactly. You have way collecting too much in CO2. that second mm-hmm. stage. And so just think of it at 100 feet at four times. Yeah. You know that's what we talk about a lot about being streamlined and. You know, going down to 100 feet in a thick wetsuit where you're overweighted now because your wetsuit's compressed, right? And if you've got crappy trim and split fins and a snorkel on, adding drag and horrible propulsion, you're not gonna, you're gonna be working at 100 feet to try to right. move. That's and why that equipment isn't a great choice. And sometimes. even and even right at the surface. Right, right. Where you're just, oh, yeah. you're just getting beat up by some wind and a little bit of a, a yeah, you're surface gonna be working, and chop, yeah. and you're 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 working it's just not right as there. critical yeah. because you don't have four times the amount. But the of partial but the pressure. natural reaction, just like when you're increasing things on the the workload on the treadmill, is to well, breathe, you have to yeah, mm-hmm. breathing faster and faster and yeah. faster. When in reality, the answer is to slow the breathing down, exhale, relax, yeah. get rid of the CO two. Mm-hmm. Right and turn, turn that brain into a machine that's trying to trigger that parasympathetic nervous system rather than the sympathetic nervous mm-hmm. system, calming the body down, relaxing the body, relaxing the heart, relaxing the breathing pattern. Relax your goddamn brain. Use your damn brain, you moron. In uh, in the book, they say that just like in scuba diving, breathing is the foundation of your yoga practice. Begin your home yoga session with a few minutes of deep breathing to help the mind transition from what you might be doing in the future to what you were doing in the present. And then later in the book, they go through a bunch of different yoga poses and stuff if you want to use this for for doing actual yoga practice. But this is also something you should be thinking of for a lot of new divers just out on the dive boat in that time right before you even get into the water. You know, you've got that... Mm-hmm. 20 minute ride or half hour ride or hour long boat ride it's a That's perfect time yeah. to get your brain into that calm that calm parasympathetic breathing pattern plus some visualization all Absolutely, those things yeah, I yeah. mean a lot of people preach it and some people think it's all new agey or you know that kind of thing the thing is it works and it 
makes for a better dive experience. And it slows you down. It purposely slows you down. So all that rushing that you see on the dive boats, getting ready, the sweating. You know, I can sweat just standing in the sun, meditating. I just sweat <laughs> anymore. <laughs> of course, that's just that happens. I'm a sweater. But it's a perfect time for I it. I see and you as more of a cardigan. I was going to say I'm a cardigan sweater. I'm a nice sweater. <laughs> but uh, I'm a sweater. Uh, hey, also early on, we went, we uh, were still partying like it was 1999 with an article from Alert Diver magazine about breathless and running out of air. How is that partying like it's 1999? Well, because the article was Call. 1999. Oh. <laughs> back when we thought, this is back when we thought 2020 was, was going to be it's a gonna great, be... fun, rocking year still. You know, this is pre shutdown. It was life. We thought it was going to be a life changing year, and it was. In a much different way. It was a devastating life changing. This is the new normal, folks. You're going to walk around with masks and wait in lines outside IKEA to go get your shelving. But we had the discussion about there's a difference between an alternate air source versus an alternate source of air. Ah. Tricky. You and I got deep onto the topic of rock bottom and the value of rock bottom for so many people. So many people, especially in years past, thought that it was just, you know, safe diving was just have an extra supply of gas with you right? in case you run out. Well, I think that's how they always viewed it from the outside, especially newer divers. You would see uh, an older diver with a pony bottle or twins, or and you thought, I'll just go buy that, throw it on, and I'm good to go. I'm locked and loaded. What, what more could there be to it? Right, and nobody's having the conversation with you at the – at the dive shop that there really is no value to that three cubic feet <laughs> in that spare, spare air, air when you're at the, the depths well, that you're trying to, to dive. It depends on how you define value. If you define value by the dive shop making 100 bucks or 50 bucks, whatever they're making off of a spare air, if they're only making 50 bucks off of that, what is that, about 350 bucks was that those spare airs back in the day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, three hundred fifty bucks. You know, uh, figure they'd be making one hundred and fifty. It's sold as being you know the professional's choice that, that every professional out there knows. You always keep this reserve parachute with you in case you know the proverbial shit hits the fan. A professional but, at what? What are they professional? <laughs> are they professional painters or something? Are they, they what are they professional at? They're not divers. Do pro divers use that as a as a real wait, are, a realistic backup system? Wait, are you are you uh, are you saying that it's it's just marketing hype? Uh, no, I mean, they would never do that. That's a cheap tactic used by n- non-thinking, non-forward-thinking business individuals who only look yeah. for the immediate pennies coming in. And that's what that's what got us on the deep discussion again of rock bottom and yeah. actually calculating and knowing, which doesn't take a lot of work to know and figure out how much gas you're going to need. In reserve and to start your dive plan, you mean with that? Don't just come back with five hundred. <laughs> I thought that was it seems like a good enough gas plan to me. 
Be back on the boat with 500. <laughs> Pony bottle hooked and, to your Air McDoodle and, and fact, a spare air. We recently received a letter from a Dan member, James Witt, calling him right out. God Dan James Witt. <laughs> Who inquired about confusion involving the term alternate air source, quote unquote. Redundant His concern air was that an additional second stage is not, in reality, an alternate air source. Um, Unless your primary in second reality, stage is gone to shit. In reality, an alternate source of air. His concern was that an additional second stage is not, in reality, an alternate source of air. It may be an alternate source of air, but it is not a source of alternate air, he stated. You got that? I the do get it because you want redundant air gas supply. There you necessarily go. Necessarily alternate. The real difference is in using the words alternate and additional when referring to the two. It is more of a matter of semantics, however. This situation is potentially a matter of life and death. Could be. So at the end of the day, the question is having a reserve volume of gas that you can rely on when the shit hits the fan. Right. It's that you can go to. I mean... Going in, like going to a spare bottle that's completely an alternate source, a redundant source, yes, with three yeah. cubic feet of gas in it. It's probably <laughs> not, you're gonna just run out of gas again. That's all you're gonna do, right? right? Now you ran, ran out, out of gas twice, once, right? Let's make it a duo, let's make it a double, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and running out of, of gas and then going to a redundant source that gives you enough to have a fast ascent to the surface. Blowing off all safety stops right. and, and necessary decompression doesn't put you in a a, a better situation at that really at the end, right? I mean, Not really. Now you're you're you probably you made it, but you either you embolize or you're bent up, right? But yeah, out of the frying pan into the fire. There are better ways. There are better ways. Inefficient air sharing was another uh, problem. Now we looked at this. Like remember back uh, last year, we had. Uh, that episode, that double trouble episode, where we, we old Paul Sabulus oh, yeah. was looking at, do we dive with a buddy or we don't dive with a buddy? Because there's all these stories of mm-hmm. the buddy in this air share actually made things worse, right? And then like, not when of. I have an air share, and then you come up to me and I go, ah, shit, I'm almost <laughs> out too. <laughs> What do you mean you're out of gas? I'm out of gas. What a coincidence! <laughs> We're both out of gas. You can't be out of gas when I'm out of gas. <laughs> I was we, I was planning on using yours to get home. Or it's just a matter of like the airshare turns into a, a an underwater oh, a cluster, fight, right? Well, the other thing, and two people fighting for the same right second stage, uh, fighting over the gas, or one person's buoyant while one person's negative, and they they start separating. Oh yeah, or I mean all the many or you're things. not on the same page, right? Yeah. Well, that when we would train people to do the gas sharing. Is you have to allow time for the emergency itself, for the, okay, let's get our wits about us. When you're planning your gas, your emergency gas supply or your, um, your, your rock bottom and your, your – uh, when you're planning your, your gas for an emergency or just your rock bottom or whatever, the deeper you are, the more gas you need, period, to get home, especially for two people. But you've got to plan some time to, to get your wits about it. Yeah, yes, yeah. to handle it. And a lot of times, even in the training – like you'll say, okay, we'll give you a minute, which is actually a pretty good amount of time to get your gas together, make sure you're all cleaned up, you know which way you're going, and let's head out, right? You got your breath back, calm, calm down, down, get your take, th- get yeah. your thinking under a control. A minute's yep. not a bad amount. I mean, it's not it's not three minutes, which you might be sitting there going, okay, let's get the fuck out of here. 
Right. Uh, but it's definitely not like an unreasonably short amount of time. So you give them a minute. But what I would find training people is a lot of times if they're not experienced in training in the sense of let's share gas and let's move, they're taking five minutes. I've seen right. nine, 12 minutes to get it a, to, an to, out of gas emergency <laughs> under control. And right. you're going, dudes. And then if you don't have buoyancy control and you don't have propulsion t- technique and awareness, you lose where you're at and you disturb and destroy the entire vi- environment. Say you're inside of a wreck, even worse, but even in open water, you can destroy that environment, not know where you're at, get all turned around. And that's what you would find quite a bit with people that don't train that way. I mean, would you yeah, agree? Yeah, Do no, you see I, that? Yeah, absolutely. The, the thing is that they're going to take that mm-hmm. five-minute, nine-minute, 12-minute flight that they just did right? right in order to, to get gas. They get up to the surface, and they're like th- – their thinking is – well, th- that wasn't great, but we, we did make it up. And training and, at 30 feet, maybe. And training <laughs> at 30 feet with full tanks right. on your back with an unlimited gas supply virtually. At a tech right. dive. At yeah. a minimal tech dive now level, 150 feet. You're here for this training right? because you want to do that. Mm-hmm. You want to move into that new world. Right. right. And when this happens, at the very end, when you're re- really at that rock bottom calculation, right. You, you can't take, you can't eight, take minutes. eight minutes to you, do something you've accounted one for. Not to mention the eight minutes have just added to your deco. Right. So it wasn't too long after that, Brando, that we got to your favorite time of year. Just uh, leaving Christmas. Happy hour? My, my, my is that happy hour? time of year. <laughs> happy hour is my favorite time of year. <laughs> <laughs> No, we got to National Cave Diving Month. Oh, yeah. Is that national or is it worldwide? International. Universal it's international. international Great Dive Podcast International Cave Diving Month. The ICDM, the TGDP ICDM. Is, uh, yes. It's quite an event. Which everybody knows is the last two weeks of January, first two weeks of February. Right. It actually overlaps two separate months. No other national slash international designated month does that except tgdp's national cave diving month correct because most accredited organizations <laughs> start their national month we're not on the first accredited? day of the month we're not accredited no <laughs> i not ga- yet. i think i i think we gave our own accreditations to this organization actually that's that's right. We just gave ourselves a five star status. <laughs> exactly. We have a rubber stamp. It's official. There you go. By the way, I just um, rubber stamped a bunch of envelopes for. Oh, very nice. Donations that we've received over the um, over the last couple of uh, weeks, months, probably uh, that. I needed to needed desperately needed to send some stickers out. So there's a stack of mail going out, people. So if you've been waiting around for stickers, cursing our names, it, it's mostly my fault. And uh, uh, I have been covering for Tiffany for the last two months. <laughs> Tiffany's got a bad case of COVID. Yeah, yeah. Mad Dog 2020 took her down. Bad. Should we kill her off? Mad Dog, <laughs> Mad, Mad Dog took Tiffany down like a, like a freshman at the sorority. <laughs> so the stickers are going out, and thank you to everyone 
who has donated to the show this year. Everybody who's bought stickers, everybody who's, you know, bought T-shirts, Patreon sponsors. Man, you guys are awesome, and we could not continue on as long as we have without your help. We could rap. have. <laughs> we would have had a rap party we, a yeah. long time ago with, without your help. We could have, but it would not have been good. <laughs> also, thank you to everyone who's given really nice ratings and reviews to us out there on the old Apple podcasts. Far too over kind. Over at iTunes. Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of great, kind, wonderful words about our show and people who've uh, dropped PFOG references in your social media when people are arguing about what is the best defog to buy. Uh, there's nothing that puts a bigger smile on my face than to see somebody else bring up PFOG. And we don't even have to do it anymore. It's great. I love it. The eternal question that will never be, never stop being asked, how, how, Jesus, Lord God Almighty, do I defog my mask? <laughs> hey! Are you going diving this weekend? Keep your mask clear with the one, the only, PFOG. The professional's choice. 100% all-natural, reliable clarity. PFOG. Refill daily. Keep your mask clear. Never fear. PFOG with PFOG. So moving along, we got into National Cave Diving Month, like we were just saying, right? And we had a really good article about looking up. Looking and, up. And the value of mentorship in diving and, and how it is a, a big part of cave training where there is like an introductory period for most real cave training that gets you into a, a basic level of getting in, getting out of the cave before they just send you on your way to explore 10 jumps, 2,000 feet back in a system. Well, it's important stuff. That was a, that's a good topic. It uh, emphasizes that, that aspect of diving that isn't emphasized in your McDonald's fast food restaurant type uh, training which is experience experience with someone been been there and done it kind of thing that's what a mentor is yeah we had a a good conversation about how cave training makes you a better wreck diver and makes you a better just regular diver and makes you a better instructor because of the level of increased awareness that you need to be a cave diver is only going to up your game outside of the cave I think it makes you a better human being. The Pope was a cave diver, they say. So was the Dalai Lama. <laughs> so was the Lama. So was Santa. Uh, any great person, if you, if you look to them and they, uh, they possess qualities you admire, they were probably cave divers. I heard Nelson Mandela <laughs> had his intro to cave. 
<laughs> he did. He did. Uh, Jesus was a cave diver, actually. People, a, lo- a little fact a lot of people don't know is Jesus was a cave diver. He pronounced his name Jesus. He actually went out. He did. The guy, the guy we were having margaritas with <laughs> was Jesus, uh, two yeah. weeks ago, that was Jesus. He went on to open his own dive shop, a cave shop called the Messiah's Cave Dive. When you've taken all your specialty courses and you're thinking, oh, I'm moving up in the diving chain, right? I'm moving up in the ranks or whatever you want to call it. You're, you think you're gaining some skills and whatnot. Albeit you are gaining a little bit more experience and you are gaining maybe some good tips and tricks kind of thing. But at the end of the day with those classes, you haven't really, I, I hate to say it like this, but most of the people haven't really gained any awareness they haven't gained the thing, the uh, essential elements that separate a cave diver from a recreational diver. Not that you, well, everybody has to be a cave well, diver, you're, that's but because you're not these gonna, essential elements I'm talking of. Because you're not going to get that in your search and recovery specialty. Peak buoyancy doesn't give you that? <laughs> Come on, man. You're not if you can get, Buddha hover. You're not going to get that in your boat diver <laughs> specialty. It's just not going to happen. Interesting. Because... My let, me, boat, let, me, let me explain this to you. <laughs> my boat diver specialty told me I should sit over here, put my fins under my seat. It's because the, the, the focus of those classes is the getting you to the end so that you can take the next one. Yeah, the focus right, is, it, I think the focus is taking the money out of your wallet and giving you a silly card so you well, keep diving. It, it kind of is. It, it's, it's, a, like a, it's a celebration that yeah. you're taking classes. It's, well, it's a, a celebration badge. that you're continuing on. And, and yes, you know, for a lot of people, they should be rewarded for that. But this is a different... No, they shouldn't. <laughs> We're getting it, into the whole, if you, you know, I, I, giving I, mean, I meaningless applaud, applause for not really doing anything. As long as you remind them at the end that they're that you not didn't really, really do anything, <laughs> I don't see there's any. I don't see there okay. being anything wrong you. with that. I right? get you. Right? I, I, f- I feel right. you. My my point is like where I was is I got that handshake, yeah. that pat on the back, the wreck diver card, go wreck diving, right? And for me, it was I'm going wreck diving. But then you said I can't go wreck diving. Kill myself. <laughs> I, at least you had the awareness and wherewithal to say. This class did not really give me the essential tools to safely pursue wreck diving. It didn't. It just didn't. I mean, at least into to the degree you wanted to right, pursue right. wreck diving. Well, that, that was it. That was a big light bulb for me. Yeah. Like, I realized, like, coming out. Was it like a HID? <laughs> it was a strobe. <laughs> it was a HID strobe. It was one of those big <laughs> yellow bulbs in yeah. the shape of an arrow pointing back, flashing, going, I was trying to like throw a little you, cave diving uh, analogy humor in there. You're going shit. Sorry, HID. Isn't that like? Isn't cave diving the first time you wore a real light? Probably. I mean, if you were tech diving before that, you may have. But for the most part, most people coming into cave and cavern diving is the first time they say, "Get rid of your pistol grip pelican." That has no business right. down here in a cave. It's time for you're going to get a, a real light. Need a real light. Yeah. An HID with a canister. Bam, and that you know. That was when HIDs came out. Before that was a halogen with a giganto canister. Right. That's when I learned. And I still have several of those. And I like to pull them out just for fun. It's like that old guy in the Model T driving down the freeway at 45 <laughs> miles an hour. You're like, get the fuck off the road. <laughs> well, but that's, that's my big canister on my side <laughs> with the halogen. A 100-watt halogen ball. Well, 
that has 45 minutes of burn time with that car battery on my side. Where I was going was I, I distinctly remember saying to myself, if something went wrong while we were in the belly of that freighter. Mm-hmm. The USS Beast. Like, I, 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 would, I have no idea what to do. Well, wouldn't to, your what, instructor what I, say, take your gear done. off? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I know your instructor. He'd say, take your gear off and swim around a bit. Because <laughs> right. yeah. that gear's hampering you. First, pee your wetsuit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it, it's like uh, like the night diver specialty. Sure, you you shut your light off, switch, you know, t- turn your backup light on. But there's a big difference than that than what cave diving does with light failure. Your light, right? Yeah, so your you light. you come out in a completely at a completely different level, right? Yeah, because cave diving, you learn your five essential rules, and one of them is you've got to have a primary, two backup, and and, and nowadays it's a primary, two backup, video lights, camera strobes, <laughs> uh, slave, exactly. slaves, uh, yeah. background focus lighting, light, ma- light, ma- yeah. background yeah, lighting. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ricky says, I've noticed since getting my first certification in cave diving that many people take a standoff approach to intro divers. And many times I've seen threads on forums that shunned intro divers. I shunned thee. <laughs> Since I am able to spend many weekends in the caverns and caves, I have seen rules broken from all levels of cavern and cave divers. And I often talk with my instructor to give him a recap of my dives and what I observed. I must say that I have become very passionate about cave diving, and I take it very seriously. There's a lot of people, you know, a lot of cave divers that get that way. Diving attracts that, you know, they take things seriously that they get into. They, at least the new divers listen to this. Don't put any credibility into the forums or very little, you know. Use it for what it's there for. But you, you don't know what you don't know, so you don't know that you're getting bad advice or advice from an idiot or yeah, which yeah, I guess yeah, is yeah, the yeah, same. Yeah. You can get good a, advice from an boy, idiot. Boy, boy, it's, it's such a slippery slope you say there, like take it for what it is because I want to say. It's entertainment. <laughs> There. Grab your you popcorn. Need to, you need to clarify what the it is. And yeah. it's, it's not education. Yeah. Like our show is an education. It's entertainment. Yes. Don't use our show for education. And like, we, I think we, we say, go we, find out yourself. Yeah, yeah, you, don't take my word for it. Right, right. If you're an idiot, sure, don't take my word now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, a little bit later on in the year, we had... One of one of my favorite episodes. We did a love story with Dudley and Vanessa. Ah. But I think the better love story was the one that we did on episode 170, which was a lesson for life with Ann and Bill. Oh, Ann and Bill. And I, I think it's one of my favorites because I, I think it really captures the best of what you and I do on the show. You know, we, we take those old I learned from diving lessons. Uh, we we bring it relative to today for the people. We have fun with the characters. We can we can we can act out some relationship trauma that we we have <laughs> deep down Period. inside, come up with some voices, do something ludicrous, and we come up with a great Brilliant new scuba weekender pastime like the scorgy. The scorgy. The fact that that word exists 
doesn't say much for well us. it is it is forever <laughs> uh, it is forever in the scuba lexicon it is now in the scubapedia the scuba wiki <laughs> whatever you would call it yes that's uh so now everybody knows that if you get if you go diving for the weekend and you get invited to room 312 check yourself <laughs> you know what's gonna happen <laughs> fun start meeting some new people they get involved in a like a new community of people and stick with it cool right they're they're trying to get out and get some new experiences maybe uh you know change their social lives a little bit are they swingers are they swingers (laughs) and and listen you know you get uh you go down to the local quarry with uh (laughs) with a group of uh you know 20 other couples all crammed together <laughs> in RVs around a campfire. You never know what's going to happen. I thought they were in one of those cheapo motels, you know, that, that seem to the, litter the quarries and cave cave world. They, uh, well, yeah, you get to one of those, you know, and... Uh, Everybody's in the corner room. We have a party in the corner room. It's a little bit bigger. <laughs> all of a sudden, floor three turns into a, just a big scuba party floor. It's you a scuborgy, a scuborgy, they call it. <laughs> a scorgy. A scorgy. Exactly. You ever been to a scorgy? <laughs> I, I don't know. And knowing some of the divers I know, no, I would never go. That would destroy, oh, my God. Let me tell you, if you ever get an invite to room 312, <laughs> be aware. We're having a scorgy. Come on by. <laughs> Run. Burn the invite. Yeah, so let's get back to Ann and Bill, who, um, again, they were really getting into scuba diving. They had just gotten their invite to room 312. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, he knew. And uh, they're, down at, uh, they're down at the quarry for the weekend. Bill, Bill's right, like, so I'm the, finally going to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 12 years of this marriage <laughs> things are getting a little well, things are getting a little stale around the the bedroom, the bedroom yeah the bedroom had become more of a uh, another job another another task for old right they, old they've Bill got and a, they've got an 11 year old a 9 year old <laughs> a 7 year old right and then that's it things have you know dried up since then yeah, it becomes more of an obligation than an actual, uh, you know, uh, let's have some fun thing. So, yeah, Bill. And it's, Bill and it's more of like just get the, like, hurry up, get the job done and right, over with. Right, exactly. Because you know, we got uh, we got to get the kids to, you know, soccer bass, yeah. you know, soccer practice and, and, and <laughs> ballet. Exactly. And, and I think Bill felt bad about that, and he wanted to bring the old spark back. That's, a, that's my take on it. Is he he wanted to bring the old spark back, the old uh, you, think, you know you that little Anne, feeling you had. You think Anne's gonna have the same thought about the the spark oh, of room three twelve <laughs> that, that Bill's? My that guess Bill, is probably not. And <laughs> Anne's a little more conservative, but those are the ones you got to watch out for sometimes too. William, what is this info? <laughs> <laughs> oh come on, it'll be fun. It says it's a scorgy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just some divers getting together. What is a scorgy anyway? Well, it's a special meeting. <laughs> it's probably, hey, baby, it's it's probably just a it's a funny play on words. You know, it's just a, some, right. 
some scuba divers getting together for some laughs. It's an initiation into the club, into the scuba diving club. So their time at the at the quarry, when they reached the platform 60 feet down, Anne noticed Bill was having trouble with his weight belt and moved it to help him out. She didn't expect it to be a problem. Fighting with the belt and his gear, Bill twisted to one side and knocked Anne's regulator from her mouth. Things went downhill from there. Yeah, I can see it happening. I mean, have you ever been in, uh, you know, with students or even other divers? And it's usually less experienced divers, but you you start f- to fix one little thing with them, and they they get squirrely. They're moving around. And you just like stand still, hold on. Your tank strap is is loose. Let me go fix. No, no, they're squirrely and turning around, and it becomes a, a big mess. Well, the, and the squirrely thing is so common with divers yeah. because they're underwater in scuba gear, but they still think like a land human. Right. Like they can turn around and fix their, right. their tank they, strap. They, they, they don't. Uh, they ha- it, it takes a while for the diver to internalize them being underwater three-dimensional world the resistance of the water column Mm -hmm. the inability to just turn and reach back you know like you've got clothes on versus all this gear on you right and no barrier for the gravity so if you lose your buoyancy control it's not like a floor with grab you know you consciously can't go any deeper when you're on a floor but in mid-water something's going wrong and you, you're not in full control of your buoyancy, you just start sinking or, or f- rising. You don't, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's really easy. And look, at the, and look at the case here. I mean, this is a common one. Is They're talking about they go down to this platform in 60 feet, which is very common, right? right. So they go down, they get negatively buoyed on the bottom, right, so that they're stable. But have you ever seen, as an instructor, somebody with the ability to be negatively buoyant on a platform and still fall off of it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because of this very thing, right? Yeah. They're, they're negative, but they've got no stable base. It's get on your knees. They, they can't even stay balanced on their knees because, you know, the tank's pulling them backwards or the, right. their, their weight distribution's all jacked up. And they still have an ability to fall when they're negatively buoyant there. So this is not an uncommon sight oh, no. at all. No, you got forces pulling you in all directions, you know, weight belt pulling you down, uh tank pulling you back. Uh the the gas in your BCD when you're kneeling there is up at your shoulders pulling you up and forward. It's a, you know, it's a balancing act. Some people may or may not remember that P fog our sponsor at Great Dive Podcast was officially born when we did the to pee or not to pee episode. You know, last year I think is when when that yeah. one came out, and then um, that was from a book. There's a cockroach in my regulator, and we revisited that book this year, talking about the DCS blues. Remember we did the DCS blues. Yeah, I remember you saying about the DCS blues. I tell you oh, that much. Oh, I got the blues. Bow, 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 bow. The DC is. Bow, 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 bow. Um, but remember, we had the great philosophical discussion. Which is great. That the first sign of DCS 
is the denial of that you have DCS. Remember? If you think you don't have DCS, you may very well be right. under the influence if of DCS. The <laughs> way that you know that you don't have DCS <laughs> is by saying, I think I have <laughs> the bends. Because if you think you have the bends, there's a good chance that you actually don't because you're aware enough of it. Now, if you say that I don't have the bends, you probably I have. can't have DCS, there's a good chance that you do, in fact, have DCS. And even if you do admit that you have it, you might actually have it. If you deny it that, that you have it, you probably have it. If you admit it, you probably have it. You just can't get away from it. It's like COVID. You're it, test is, positive it is a little bit like COVID. Because you're going to test positive. Right, right. <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, so the next one is denial, right? So the, do- the doubtful part being the dive was well within the limits of the table, so the diver could not possibly be bent. Well, yeah, that's not necessarily true, but... Right, and that's what we, yeah. we learned, right, into the 90s, into the 2000s, 2010s, right. and 20s, that, no, the, there is a way that mathematically via that table or that computer uh you could be clear but But. you could still be bent Mm -hmm. stuff that we know now yeah stuff that we know more about today than we did back in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s right yeah you, you can follow the rules and still get hit so and then the last one uh is guilt dcs is regarded in some circles as shameful is a sexually transmitted disease. You got DCS? <laughs> hey, I heard so hell- got DCS. <laughs> Who the hell's he been diving with? <laughs> exactly. I'll never dive with him again. <laughs> oh, you got a little Oh, you got you got, yeah, <laughs> you got the DCS? You must have been diving with Jerry. <laughs> exactly. It was one time, man. It was one time. <laughs> time. I get it. I was. Now. I needed a buddy. I needed a buddy. Mm-hmm. You know he how it he is. Was, he said he was experienced. <laughs> he said he was checked out. <laughs> Failure to recognize that there is something wrong may, in fact, be a manifestation of the disease. Unrealistic, or in some instances, paranoid reaction to the symptoms may be part of the disease itself. This is sort of a catch-22. To recognize that one has DCS, one must recognize the symptoms. But a symptom of DCS is that one does not recognize that one has been bent. Now, hold that. Hold the phones here. To... You you might have DCS if you deny that you have DCS. This is like this is a super catch twenty two. You can't get out of this one. You're like I don't have DCS. You must. You must because you're denying it. It's like how can you win on this one? Wait a minute. Wait wait. Knowing that you have DCS means you probably don't have it. Don't know (laughs) that you probably don't have DCS. Well, th- that's kind of true. Like, th- have uh, have you ever had that feeling though, where like you come out of a dive and you're hypercritical, and you're like, "Wait a minute, 
Well, this am I am I bent? <laughs> and then you go through it all to, to it's you kind of need to have that clarity of there is a possibility that I could be bent right now to be able to go through and know whether or not you should You're take bent. action. Well, I'm yet, reminded that, yet yeah. that clarity that there's no way you of all people could be bent is probably a good well, sign that you are in fact bent. This is this is reminding me of the what about Bob where Bill Murray, as Bob is like, he fakes Tourette's. He's like, you know, just starts cussing out of the blue, shit face, blah blah blah, you know. And and they're like, why are you doing that? He goes, well, I fake it so that I know that I'm faking it, and that tells me I don't have it. So that I mean, this is what they're saying is if uh, you go diving and you fake like you're. <laughs> FTCS, you, you 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 know that you're faking it, so you don't have it. That's brilliant. But if you don't know it, yeah, I don't. I, this is uh, this I, uh is quite, quite a dilemma here. I'm I'm ascending fast and skipping my my deco, <laughs> so <laughs> so that so I know I could be bent if I, I do feel bent. like it. I did violate a, a, you know a, a common procedure, and I know I should Forget go to the it. chamber. Exactly. I think I might be getting bent, so I'm going to purposely bend myself so that I know that I'm bent. Although you might deny it, but if I but it, listen, if I did everything right on the ascent and still felt a little weird, I wouldn't know. Exactly. So this way, I'm going to violate it all so that if I do it, I definitely know that I'm bent and I should be going to the hospital. Oh, brother, I'm confused now. <laughs> so do I have it or don't I have it? <laughs> Well, let's look at the post-DCS blues and DCS psychosis. The post-DCS blues. I think, uh, are they reaching for the, you know, postpartum depression is, I think, where they're going. But I don't know. Is this claimable in a court of law? It's my question. So, like, if I, if I went on a murdering rampage, could I say... <laughs> I was clinically mad or because I was bent. I was I had chronic decompression sickness. All I need is a is a ride in the chamber and uh, all is forgiven. I went down on a dive, came up too fast. <laughs> And I went down on a dive, baby, came up too fast. Now I'm just waiting for my service interval to pass. <laughs> I got the DCS blues. DCS blues, baby. Nice. Oh, yeah. Not bad. Not bad for a, uh, <laughs> you know, on the fly, spur of the moment little song. Hey. We're gonna Listen, have to hone that one. When when you uh, when you let the blues come through you, the DCS, the blues. songs they, they write themselves. They do the blues. The blues is in my blood, along with some bubbles. So later in the year, we got to, I would say, kind of the the culmination of of the year can be wrapped up in a series of shows that we did. The kind of the, the climax, the pinnacle of Great Die Podcast this year was episode 185 when we got onto that scuba board post about is certification really necessary? 
Yeah, I remember that one. Remember, it started off, that was when old Eddie Van Halen died. And we, we did the memorial tribute to EVH at the beginning of the show. We, 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 got, a, we got a couple of negative comments about, like, what the hell's this got to do with scuba diving? What the hell does Eddie Van Halen have to do? Who are these people? Do they even clearly, die? Clearly people that never bought the Diver Never's Down Diver. album. They, name another album that is is a dive flag. It's a dive flag. What are you talking about, you clowns? Right. If Sorry, I shouldn't call our audience, our listening audience, <laughs> clowns, but that's a clown move. That's a clown move. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, if there's any rock band that is scuba appropriate, it would be Van Halen, particularly the members that were involved in the Diver Down album, Partic- and in particular... The guitarist Eddie Van Halen, Edward, 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 Edward. But yeah, so that that post really started a huge thread on the internet. Uh, it got us to talking. We ended up turning that into two episodes that stretched into the stuff that we did with Simon Pridmore about the going pro and how like new professionals that are getting into dive mastering and instructing cannot fall down that same path of poor instructors, which was really like the, at the end of our conversation, that's really where we were going was the reason that you're still seeing people show up on dive boats that don't belong there, even though they have a, a pocket full of C cards that cards. say they do, but they have no ability to is because their instructor didn't even know what that they stuff. didn't know. Right. You don't know what you don't know. And we, we And when you're and when you're an instructor who has dove one location with only one hundred dives, it's hard to really know. Or even a thousand dives at one location. It's still yeah, you gotta vary that experience. The general idea out there, if you just go and ask the new diver coming in, just go ask him and you at the shop you work at, the new diver, after they get their C card, ask them, what do you believe, what level of diving do you believe is the epitome of a great diver? And then give them, you know, what their choices are. Or don't even give them choices. Just after this certification class, so you've gone in and you've learned about scuba, I want you to tell me where you would go, to what level would you go to become the best diver you can be? I can guarantee you it will be 99%, if if not full 100, would say, I want to be an instructor because that's the most, the highest diving ability there is out there. And that's just not the case. And the reason that is is because the gateway to instructor is nothing. And that's so that the company could grow and expand and it take over and and continue with their minimum standards they're they're mcdonald's fast food scuba and i'm with you it's a cancer i would and i I don't mean to be that negative i would hold that yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna take the i'm gonna take the industry side a little bit because i i don't fully disagree with that with the with the understanding of wait you're not taking the industry side james you're taking an agency side there because the whole industry isn't like this there's there's a difference now, and I you know back in the well, day well, okay, I would yeah, say so I I'd argue the other side. I'd be like, oh, it's the diver, it's not the agency. But you know, 
people don't know, especially new divers, they they just go to the biggest. Well, agency. let me say, yeah, there's there's agencies on both sides. I would say, yeah, and you're you're right. There is a difference today than there was a decade or two ago. Decade or three. I think the, the issue is 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 diving. The the experiences out there, the equipment out there is growing so fast that the, the new divers don't understand that they have a 30-foot certification. You know, w- when you have two hours in the pool and uh, you, you did an online classroom and you, you did four 20-minute dives to 20 feet and whap through some skills on your knees in the, in the sand, you don't have, although you were given in the book the science of up to 130 feet you don't have that knowledge and experience within you as the diver right yeah i think that's where the big overstep is that they gave you the book knowledge and but not you don't really have the knowledge i mean um well yeah really because well, when you go out because yeah. when you go out into the field it's yeah. well it's an 80 foot dive so we're going to 80 feet yeah no, I get you. you. Got, you got a, you've got a certification card. They taught you everything down to 130. Is, well, is the, I mean, right? You're kind of proving my point in the sense of you got you got instructors with hardly any experience teaching new people that don't have any experience, and so they they assume it just keeps growing. That, yeah, that instructor that's standing on it's, his fins, it's fucking right, Jacques on Cousteau the, on the bottom yeah. of the quarry. Is it man. bouncing from diver to diver mm-hmm. to have them flood and clear their mask as they're kneeling waist deep in mud? Right. They they see that as the epitome of perfection, and they don't understand a difference. No, you don't know exactly. You don't know what you don't know, and you don't you don't understand that who that instructor is. And again, we go back to this very minimum basic requirements to become an instructor, and it, it's really not. I mean. That that's not really requirements to become a great diver. So I guess my thing is, you should be a great diver if you're going to be teaching people to dive. You should be extremely adept. You should have dived in several different environments at the very least. And you should be, uh, you know, able to speak about diving from a viewpoint of great experience. The 100 dives. Is, does not guarantee that in any sense of the word. As a matter of fact, it guarantees you probably don't have a great amount of experience to draw from. Right, right. Could you? I mean, I, I don't know what the standards are, but I highly doubt that I could become a, a snow skiing instructor with having gone down the hill <laughs> you know, one, only 100, 100 times. times. Thank you. Thank you. And down the same hill. You know, imagine you've skied Mount Brighton. Uh, you know, for ten years, I don't which, care if you which got for a the thousand. people, which for the people around the world is a <laughs> is a a gar an old garbage dump uh-huh. that's turned into a hill that's now covered that with snow in the winter time. Yes, it's it's that about your the only top, top to bottom takes yeah. you a, about a minute. Yeah, it's the only big hill that I mean, big enough hill to to actually ski on within you know a hundred miles here. So, right, uh, yeah, but exactly. So let's go. Oh, so let's look at this guy's post, right? So but oh, says, I, I do yeah. want to say one more thing before we go. Okay, go. Because I, I know we're kind of getting off the rails of should there be uh, a certification or not. 
and I know I'm just I'm talking about we have some minimum standards. We kind of got lost here, but I do want to say you know you, you mentioned agencies along the same lines as the main big agency, but they're they're they are there because they want a piece of that pie. That even a small slice of that pie is a big slice. You know, and the agencies that are completely the other end of the spectrum that require, you know, I want to call it like the Harvard of, of scuba diving. The, they're going to put you through the ringer. They're going to teach you a whole bunch of things that the main agency, the, the minimum requirements to say, well, that's not necessary. They go so far above and beyond the, the main or the uh, minimum requirements. So they're, they're the other side of the spectrum. And then you've got a couple, a couple of them that are competing with the main big one, which basically they're about the same. You're right. They, they, and that's the only thing is they're competing with, they're trying to get a piece of that pie. The other one said, we don't care about that pie. We want quality over quantity. We're willing to well, put yeah, extra Yeah, so time. there's there's the question, right? Yeah. Is, is is the purpose of the agency to put out a quality diver or is the purpose of the agency to put out a quantity of divers? Meaning, is the purpose of the agency to make money or is the purpose of the agency to put out a good diver? Thank I you. I think that's another way you could actually address this post is not is the dive certification really necessary, but what is the purpose of the certification? Very good. I like it. So the second part of that show was the next episode where we called it Pandora's Dive Bag. The old Pandora's Dive Bag. Right. Episode. That's where we started going through all the comments, right? Because the first episode was just going through the guy's post, and then we started going through the comments. Yeah. And what we discovered at the end was that when you open up Pandora's Dive Bag, there's chock-a-block full of bad buoyancy. <laughs> chock-a-block. <and> split fins. <laughs> And blown ascents, but somewhere, somewhere deep down in a, in a hidden pocket at the bottom of Pandora's dive bag, there was hope. Well, there's always hope. I mean, we even have hope right now within the, the midst of COVID. There's hope, but yeah, the reality of it is, is what we have what we have, which is the reason the Great Dive Podcast is out there. We're going to fix it all, James. With the help of our listeners... We, uh, we certainly have the ability of fixing it all. Fixing it all for the future. Well, this is, this is why the new agencies have, have come up over the last couple decades. Thank God. And this is why the, the big agencies are changing their tune is because they're losing market share. They're losing money to these new agencies that are coming up that are doing things differently. James, are you saying there's hope for humanity? That there's hum- hope. Humans can actually look over and say, I've got m- monkeys if or you, I've got divers. I'm good to learn from. dig through Pandora's dive bag, Brando, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of bad buoyancy in there. There's, there's a, a lot, lot of split, split fins, fins in there. <laughs> there's a lot of out of control ascents in there. Yeah. At the very bottom of that Pandora's dive bag. If you keep looking and dicking, there is hope. hope. Our little friend of called Hope. Well, you just cheered me up. And on that note of hope, I am signing your logbook. 
so you know we what? can finally, so we can be done with this one, this uh, this train wreck. I told you we never should have went into the into a scuba board on on this show. Well, never, look, look, it, where, look never, where it took us. Look yes. where it took us. We did, we did come out saying there's hope. There's hope. And well, I, I guess that is at the root of humanity. We always have hope. And we did, uh, we did record an episode, right, of our Monday night Zoom parties that we started up. Yes, because we were – that was a cheap way to get an episode out of a Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> well, it started off as we had a great idea of – great idea it's hey one of many let's do a um one let's record early in the pandemic we did pandemic madness 2020 yeah i think that was right. the uh i think that's what started like these meeting crazes these yeah these, uh, it was us well a, a couple of the listeners started doing a, an after hosting after parties after pandemic madness yeah. so we would do the hour-long pandemic madness show do uh, go through the brackets, and then uh, we'd hang out, have a couple cocktails with the people that were watching, and that hasn't stopped since no. March. Every Monday night <clears throat> at eight fifteen, we've been zooming with uh, with a group of divers from all over the world, and one of the nights we had a a harebrained idea <laughs> of hey let's let's try to go through one of these articles yeah. that we often do. And let everybody chime in. And let's just say uh, it was a, a wonderful disaster. <laughs> is that, does that work? And two, just exercising uh, the practice of checking your SPG. It should mean I'm going to live or die. Is everyone not is, talking about the zodiac sign? No, this should be told by your computer. The computer is going to beep at you when you're low in gas, isn't it? See, I, see, so, or, I, I agree. I, I see exactly what you're in the saying. Intro. Yes. Jamesy, so if we look at this, I'm well, a wait, 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 wait. I'm interrupting you, Tom, only because we're near 17 hours of this fucking Zoom. Uh, <laughs> This is the time. This is the time where we lay off constant jokes and bring some realness into this. It wasn't a right. joke. Oh, it was. It was coming out of your mouth. You had your hand up like this. I knew it was a fucking joke. That's how I raised my hand because I'm baby Brando. Are you saying this my, isn't my... real? <laughs> <laughs> no. So Brando, this is where we need the knowledge, right? So th this is my point. So the, the kids that are listening out there right now, right, who they go, I, 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 was, I was told I got to monitor my gas. I don't want, I don't want to have the same. Monitor situation. your gas. So what, what is the, what is the difference between what Randy was doing with monitoring his gas, which everybody does. This is my point versus what's being said here of just monitor. We're all cracking jokes because we all agree. I get that. That's totally understandable. But for like 10 people joking around the pub, that's an easy laugh. But if, if anybody that's not the wisest that's going to listen to this and, and come away with something, what is it? There's something that we can say about that very sentence that we all laughed about that makes sense that somebody goes, fucking A, how did I miss that? Well, I mean, the problem lies in the story. We don't know what randy was doing monitoring gas we have no idea randy's dead 
we have a broken fin strap, uh, an out of tank, out of gas diver, and that's it, an empty tank. So we have no idea what the story is. Well, it's can a lot I of speculation? Can I say that maybe monitoring your gas supply, which is no idea. Been told we have no idea, years. James. We have no idea if it was a reflow, complete. Okay, okay, yeah. But, but so, so my point is like, so monitoring your gas supply and watching it go lower and lower and lower and lower and lower is, which is what I mean. It's what I was taught when I was first took a scuba class in 1989. Pay attention to your gauge. Yeah. Is that different than what you and I teach nowadays? No, of, of no, what, not at all. Wait, no, no, I no, mean, hear me out, hear me out. Of, of what real gas management is, which is different than just monitoring your gas supply. Uh-oh. You know what I'm saying? We have a, a hand raised down there, but I'm going to say my point before. No, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, no, you should monitor your gas, but to call this accident a gas monitoring incident, that the reason it happened was because he didn't monitor his gas, is we have no idea. The guy is dead, the person is dead. Empty tank, broken fin strap, lost his buddy, that's all we've got. So we, we piece together this story that's great maybe for Skin Diver Magazine article, but in reality, if you do any critical thinking and you look at this article, it's ridiculous on his face. It's like, I have no and, idea why this guy died. He, he could have lost his buddy, been overweighted, uh, a bunch of things, could have been monitoring the hell out of his gas. We don't know. He's dead. And, and, and their love and affair James, is over. James, and they'll yeah. never, ever have a family. James. Ever. Go ahead, Larry. James. Did, is, in, in the story that you told, did it indicate that they started their ascent with each other? Yes, they, they ascended together, but but okay, um, okay. Randy was very low. Yeah, but it, so, you know, if there was a free flow or an equipment failure, I guarantee you, you know, that would take precedence over an ego and somebody would communicate with somebody else. Well, no, we don't no. know what happened. I would, either. I would, I would, we don't know that. where they were. Up to that. Well, point. they did. They did start their ascent together, though. Yeah, but they, they don't know where what's where Randy was prior to that. He may have been at 400 psi prior to that. I mean, and, I guess all I'm getting at is well, if he was if he was if he was at 400 psi prior to that, without a catastrophic equipment failure. And that low, it was his responsibility to communicate with his buddy on the well, ascent of this poor, right. poor gas management and buddymanship. No, so, you know, because and, now he's become a, a liability to his buddy. Well, I agree 100%. I agree. And well, Larry, is that, that, is that not where we're going right right here? Ultimately, is it, it's not the, ultimately the, the gas monitoring that's the problem. It's the poor buddymanship. Not one person together, but both of them are are at fault for this poor buddymanship. Yes. And Jamesy, because, because neither of them have really been taught buddymanship. They've been taught you have to have a buddy. That's it. I mean, you got a good point. And we get down to some intricate details of being a good buddy. To me, and, the these guys aren't horrible buddies. They're just not great buddies. Great. 
A great team. So we did two interviews that we aired this year. Dose. We did an interview with Stephanie from up at the National no Marine Sanctuary. In Thunder Bay, Michigan. Up in Thunder Bay. Lake Huron. Thunder Bay, Michigan. Because we were up there close to this time last year yes for the thunder bay international film festival which is going on they're doing a virtual one this year yeah. so check into the tbiff everybody the thunder bay international film festival up at the national marine sanctuary up in thunder bay so stephanie was a, a fun interview and a fun conversation of somebody who's living the great lakes shipwreck maritime archaeology heritage on a daily basis yes stephanie directs the museum up there fyi she's uh she's the director right of the museum um or something to that effect i know she no no i know jeff i think jeff is the the director director. okay she is the uh she's a marine archaeologist right i wanted to give her a promotion and say she's like the she's the boss of everybody up there well listen (laughs) We know who runs the show. Yes. Stephanie runs that show. Definitely. No. She's uh, she's a great face of the museum. Yes. And uh, she's really passionate about it. Uh, she's got the, the little shop. Across the street. Up there as well. Her and her husband uh, up there in Alpena. Great Lakes Divers. And she was a, a fun time to spend with. Yes. Super girl. Super person. Yes. Okay. Um, so in closing then. We are up here for the Thunder Bay International Film Festival. That's why Brandon and I are up here in Alpena this weekend to see you. And so why don't you give the people a little bit of information um, about what we're doing up here, mm-hmm. what this weekend's all about, why, uh, why we're having such a great time this weekend, and uh, where they can get more information. Well, I would love to share that. So it's, I'm looking out the window right now, and it's a blustery, snowing. Beautiful January day here in Northeast Michigan, and we have the Thunder Bay International Film Festival every January. We've done it for eight years now, and it's an opportunity for us to share the you know beautiful underwater world, um, ocean, and Great Lakes. And so we show over 60 films throughout the five-day festival, and people come from all over. Filmmakers come. And um, I'm inviting everyone to come because it's, it's awesome. If you have an inclination to, for scuba diving at all, that's what these films are all about, is our beautiful underwater world. And another treat with the film festival is it really connects the National Marine Sanctuary, which is, you know, where, that's where, who I work for, um, the Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary. It connects us, the only freshwater National Marine Sanctuary, connects us to our other sanctuary sites that are all, the rest of them are all in the ocean. Um, and it's a great opportunity for us to talk about the National Marine Sanctuary System, which, just like Alpena, Michigan, not a lot of people know about the National Marine Sanctuary System. It's very similar to national parks, um, but we, you know, we protect much more ground, many more square miles. Um, we, there's 13, 14 sites now across the U.S., and like I mentioned, Thunder Bay is the only freshwater one. Uh, there is one south of the equator, um, American Samoa, which is... I've had the opportunity to go scuba diving there, which is amazing. Wow. Um, but we're all connected. This National Marine Sanctuary System was uh, started with an act of Congress in 1972, the National Marine Sanctuaries Act, which simply 
um, charges the system with protecting America's underwater treasures, whether they're natural resources or cultural resources. Obviously, here we focus on the, the cultural resources, the shipwrecks. Right. And the collection of shipwrecks that is here is is so special for a number of reasons. So there's lots of shipwrecks, first of all. We have identified 99 shipwrecks in the 4,300 square miles that um, the sanctuary encompasses in northwestern Lake Huron. Um, so there's lots, so the quantity, um, and then the quality of the shipwreck. So that you, as you guys know, you've, you've dove lots of them, um, the, the preservation possible here in the cold, fresh water. Beautiful, makes for beautiful shipwreck yes. diving, yes. Amazing ship, some of the best in the world. Um, the schooners with their masts still standing upright. I um, like to think of it as a schooner deep freeze, right? Yes. Because, yeah. I mean, they're, they're unchanged from when they sank. Um, and then, so there's the, the quantity, there's the quality, and then the variety. So there are shipwrecks all over the Great Lakes, you know, some say 10,000. Um, but this little, this big corner that we're at, smack dab in the middle of the Great Lakes, um, has um, those old wooden schooners. It has the, the huge steel freighters. We have wrecks from the earliest documented one in Sanctuary Waters is the New Orleans, a side wheeler, paddle wheeler from 1849 um, up to the, the latest one, the most recent one, recent big one, the Nordmere from 1966, huge steel German freighter. So we've got variety. And, and I'd say that probably the most special thing about the Sanctuary Waters um, is the accessibility. And we, we talked a little bit about that earlier, but how there's the super deep ones, so techni- technical divers from all over will come dive those 300-foot deep shipwrecks. But then there's the, the shallow ones that are, you know, very much still a shipwreck, a little bit less intact. You know, the masts aren't standing upright. But, I mean, there's schooners at, you know, 8 feet deep. Some of my favorite sites are 8 to 20 feet deep. Um, and so you don't have to be a scuba diver to get to these wrecks, to experience this, this rich history, you can, you know, kayak to them, you can snorkel to them, you can... Glass-bottom boat. Glass-bottom boat, that's yeah, right. Yeah. That's that's the accessibility, I think, is what is really special. The, I'm glad you said the glass-bottom boat because people can, I mean, when they experience it, when they see it with their own eyes or um, even if they're snorkeling, but they see it through that the, the viewing wells, that's when the connection happens. And then our other interview was... With the legendary Larry Green. Oh, Larry, one of our frequent Zoom. He'll pop in for a Zoom attendance. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, He's there last turned, week. turned out to be a, a, a pretty good Zoom friend. Hangs out and uh, always always there to drop some science on the people and some knowledge on the people. Some and experience. Wisdom on the people. Yeah. yeah and, with all of his experience, yeah. Wealth of experience right there. And that interview was awesome because I mean he he went back with some old growing pains of of the cave diving era and and like all the stuff that he did along the way his learning lessons and uh, what what I really loved about chatting with him in that interview was his take on just education in general. Yeah, you know, there's something about that interview too that we'll probably not have at least not in the near future. Again, we actually interviewed him in person. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we were down cave, cave diving yeah. like a year ago from now almost. Absolutely incredible stuff. So, the, you know, yeah. be, being involved, you know, in what's going to happen next and being involved with those kind of events and things happening has really been the big thing that's kept me motivated and intrigued about it. And then my students. 
Yeah, the people you meet, the experiences my, my, my you experience make. My experience with students and, and having so many students coming back and say, you know, I've taken what I learned in your course and I've applied it to my life. Mm-hmm. Other things, yeah. Exactly. Other things. Yeah. That's uh, when you can hear something like that genuinely from a student. It, it touches you as a, as it, a teacher. It, re- it really does. You know, it kind of brings a tear to my eye. Yeah, yeah. You, you, teach them about, you, never, you teach them about gas management or something, and then they come back years later to tell you a story that that triggered something inside of them, you know, something that you said to them about scuba diving that they applied into real life. It's amazing. You, you never know. I've had, I've got letters that they've come back diving years later. They, they have a situation that occurs during the cave, and they come out of it, and they, they write me a letter to say, thank you for your training. Fantastic. Okay, so if life had worked out differently and Larry Green wasn't this icon of cave diving that he turned out to be, where do you think you would have gone? Had you, had you not taken that 150-foot dive in uh, hospital hole, <laughs> hospital hole with, your, with your buddy, uh, you never got that chance to, to dive with the... Uh, where do you think you would have gone? Everest. Everest? It would, it would have been something non, it would have been a, a non-diving version of diving. You, like your lifestyle would be the same, you think? Yes, I, th- I think so. Because I've always been intrigued with climbing. Always. And uh, even uh, my uh, diving experiences, I've been uh, uh, sponsored to go to Spain. We had... Um, some people in Spain, they were doing a lot of deep spelunking because they're for a long time, and they're still going on, uh, of, of explorers trying to reach the deepest point in caves. And so I, I'd gotten communication with these guys that they're done, doing some deep sumps, and they'd finally hit sumps, but none of them were cave divers. So they sponsored me to come to Spain, and we went up and spent a few weeks up on the north coast just west of the Pyrenees and they, they trained me how to repel and climb into the caves so I could get to the sumps to teach them how to get through the sumps. So, and during this time, uh, they spent, I spent weeks on training me their, their techniques of repelling and climbing and stuff and they even did a little, some face climbing and stuff back when I was young and, and you know, and they, they put these shoes on me that were two times too small and these little funny tights <laughs> and right, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they put me on this rock face and they said, just just look for all the little steps. And they're talking about little dimples in the yeah. rock, you know. And uh, something I've kind of related to over the years is that I was about, I don't know, two, three hundred foot off the ground. You know, it was, it was pretty, it was nothing but sheer rock face. And I had two belays on me, which had two two climbers ahead of me with ropes on me. And I got to a point where one of my shoes come off and I froze. And I'm not moving. I was just like, oh. <laughs> and they you, you down. You can say it. We, uh, we use that word all the time. I said, I said, Larry, what's wrong? I said, my shoe came off. And they repeated, well, what's wrong? I said, my damn shoe went off. <laughs> They said, well, put it back on. I had two belays on. I'm out of my environment. 
all I had to do was let go, reach down, put my shoe back on, everything is all right. So I kind of related that in life and in training and diving that most solutions of most problems are very simple. We, we overreact to a lot of scenarios. So all my life experiences gave me things to help provide in giving inspiration of thought of people because most problems are solved more simply than we try to analyze them out at. Oh, yeah. Wise words. Yes. Such fantastic so, so wisdom. I've, I've, yes. used that, I've used that story num uh, numerous times about yeah. how simple and how many times we, you know, you had something, damn, why didn't I think of that? It was, it was right <laughs> in front right. of my face, you know. So don't complex the obvious. Well, hey, everybody, that was 2020. Later, 2020. Don't <laughs> Later, let the door hit dog. you on the ass. <laughs> Later, mad dog. Yeah. Should we end the show with with a glimmer of well, it's, hope it's, it's and optimism for 2021? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. No, there is no optimism because literally we, are, we literally. have just started the year 2021. Yes. As in 2021. <laughs> 2020 beat us. 2021 then. Well, it likes to think so. We yeah. got put down. Yeah, I'd like to remain optimistic, but uh we have grown again. 2020 was a was another growing year in listenership for Great Dot Podcast. So thank you everybody who has been listening. Thank you to everyone who has shared the show with friends and dive buddies and put stickers on dive boats and dive shop windows and fill station areas and your own personal gear. Thank you to everybody who has made comments on social media, everyone who has posted a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thank you so much. Everyone who's donated to the show purchased a sticker, purchased coffee, purchased a t-shirt, Patreon sponsors. Thank you to everyone out there for listening to the Great Time Podcast. And PFOG, thank you. And the PFOG promoters, really. We need to give a big shout out and thanks to. Yes, don't forget, hashtag PFOG anytime uh, you see somebody making a post about what is the best defog out there. Let them know <clears throat> what the true source, the professional's choice 100% natural, reliable clarity, PFOG can do for them. I mean, there's no end in sight for our Zoom meetings, right? We're, we're just going to continue that in through 2021. I, I think until the lockdown is lifted for everybody, we, we, have, we have a moral obligation to the people. <laughs> moral obligation. It's, geez, it's a mandated from Lord Al Almighty on high. He uh, sent me these tablets telling me, I have to do Zoom meetings. Well, I think probably even after the, uh, if the, if there is an after where we actually open up and you're living normal, some semblance of normalcy again, uh, I think the Zoom meetings are still going to go on. I can't see somebody going, no, we can't, we don't have to have them now. Right. Yeah. No, I think we have it's, to have them now forever. We might there's, have to. There's yeah. no way to really end it. So, I mean, Look for the post on our Zoom meetings on the on the Facebook Great Dive Podcast page. Yeah, the, uh, the the Facebook page will always send the link. Yeah, sometimes they start out a little slow, 
But once people get a little looped up with a cocktail or two, uh, the conversation goes derails, south. Derails further. <laughs> goes south into nonsense. But it's all in good fun. It's all in good it fun. is. It's a lot of fun. All right, everybody. 2021 is here. Looking forward to another fun year of scuba talk with you guys. Hopefully we'll see you in the water sometime this year. But we'll definitely see you next week. And if I see you first, buddy. Folks, happy new year. And safe diving.